we're seeing a confluence of roles at companies between the facility manager, the sustainability organization, as well as the energy manager, all working in concert. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. I'm John Fiella. I hope you've been enjoying the episodes in season two, and we'd love to have you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite player. Please leave us a review also. At our recent Renewable Energy Forum, I had the opportunity to sit down with Greg Candon Coulomb, Senior Manager of Sustainability at NRG Energy, to discuss the future of sustainability strategy. Please enjoy the conversation I had with Greg. Greg, why don't we start by having you tell us a little about your role and current duties at the NRG? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, John, and thank you, everyone, for joining in on this webinar. My time at NRG has changed a little bit, but when I first came on board, we had a sustainability specialist team that walked hand-in-hand with account executives to meet our peers at Fortune 1000s so that we could have a strategic conversation around sustainability and help that inform procurement around supply and around demand-side solutions. My background, I have a nuclear engineering degree, was a naval nuclear engineer on aircraft carriers, and did my graduate work in sustainability. The role has evolved where I now sit within our business solutions group running a sustainability or sustainable energy advisory where we provide consulting for demand-side solutions, supply-side strategy tied to sustainability performance management. Okay, great. So naval nuclear engineering. When we eventually get together face-to-face, I'm going to have to learn a little more about what, what that was like, Greg. It sounds like a fascinating background. So NRG is involved in so many areas of the of the business, but sustainability advisory services really isn't something that I think you're widely recognized and and known for. Tell us a little bit about kind of why the company got into it and what might be a little unique about your approach to sustainability advisory services for large power users. Great question. What we've been doing here at NRG is constantly refining the idea of the integrated model, right? Where we have generation, we have a retail arm that is ever expanding, and a business solutions group that works directly with corporates when it comes to clean energy procurement, business continuity, resiliency, things of that nature. And so what we saw was that there were a lot of consultants in the marketplace that may have been part of companies that were wholesale power players or understood the grid, and then left those roles to be pure play time and materials consultants. We saw ourselves as needing to have that 
piece of the value stream or the value chain incorporated into our business where we could provide the strategic uh, oversight and help craft programs that would lead to a sustainability strategy that would be in lockstep with procurement of energy services, electrons in general, as well as those demand side solutions to help reduce consumption. So based on NRG's, I guess, wide portfolio of, of products, is there anything in particular that's unique about the approach that, that the company takes to sustainability strategy development? Yeah, I would say so. So I think one of the best cases that we can make is the fact that you know we've been on the bleeding edge of sustainability reporting and commitment building basically carte blanche, right? So we were the first of nine companies to enter into the SBTIs or scientifically based target initiatives, Mm -hmm. right? And understanding what are our component to the problem of climate change is and how to set a long-term strategy to combat that. So we started with the IPCC model of the Paris Accords and looking at the two-degree scenario planning, upgrading that to a 1.5-degree scenario plan and putting milestones behind that, right? What are we going to look like in 2030? What are we going to look like in 2025? What are we going to look like in 2050? Given the complexity of our business, you know, there's a lot of applicable skills that mm-hmm. we have in having done that for ourselves and having to continue to have those conversations with our customers when they're talking about procurement that we felt that we had basically all our ducks in a row to be able to provide this as a holistic service that would help smooth the way to providing line of sight to procurement and projects. See, that's interesting. I didn't realize you were you were one of the first companies involved with science-based targets initiative, which is pretty interesting. So there's been this real interesting evolution in the focus of strategy. I think as recently as 18 months ago, the focus was on setting renewable energy targets. We're going to be 100% renewable energy by 2025 or 2030. And it seems like within the last 12 months, the focus, Greg, has really shifted away from renewable energy procurement targets to carbon emission reduction targets. And those carbon emission reduction targets are getting more and more aggressive. So with that shift in focus to emission reduction targets, what's what's your sense for what's driving that shift? What's behind that shift? Yeah, that's a great question. I wouldn't necessarily say that there's a shift in gears per se. I think that the word is out in terms of renewables and renewables procurement and how it's probably the greatest foil for reducing carbon emissions within a a corporate context. Now that we're in these unprecedented times due to COVID and work from home, I I think we're, we're seeing some paradigm shifts that are leading us to look at a larger focus around carbon reductions, right? Mm -hmm. When we talked about renewable procurement, the year-over-year increase in renewable procurement from 2018 to 2019 was 44%, the majority of that being in the U.S. And we're talking about the dust hasn't fully settled on on the amount of money spent, but we're talking somewhere in between 20 and $30 billion. So I think that those who know have done it, and there are people catching up in terms of wanting to get into renewables. But once you've done that, 
what are the other operational needs, the efficiency needs, the change in infrastructure needs, transportation, other aspects of material issues to a company's impact that need to be addressed. That is what is leading towards these larger conversations around carbon mitigation strategies, because there are lots of opportunities beyond just the energy procurement side in terms of just pure play acquisition of electrons that need to be addressed, right? And so you're talking about building automation, you're talking about EV strategy, especially with EVs last mile strategies on how to get the entire value chain electrified. You're seeing cities talk about electrifying and taking natural gas out of the conversation, ordinances around new builds not having natural gas. So there are lots of other ways of looking at carbon mitigation that we're happy to get involved with. Yeah. So you've touched a little bit on the opportunities that are created by this. Maybe you could expand on that a little bit and maybe talk a little more about the opportunities that are created by that shift, but maybe also touch on some of the challenges that are created when someone decides to really shift on that emissions reduction focus. Yeah, I mean, and also the paradigm shifts on the future of work and how we transact and communicate with each other is also shifting as well, right? So how we procure is going to change. Looking at commercial buildings and how are we going to congregate in these buildings going forward. Post-COVID, I think there's going to be a lot of uneasiness to get maximum capacity in buildings that can potentially house thousands of workers. And so given that, I'm sure there are a lot of real estate trusts that are looking at what the terminal value of those buildings are going to be, what the healthy occupancy of those buildings are going to be. And then what are the needs of a workforce that is more residentially housed? What are the bandwidth needs? Are we going to need to shift distributed assets away from commercial and industrial centers to Mm -hmm. residential centers? Because another interesting tidbit about the United States as an industrialized nation, we are number one for outages, which is an interesting thing to to contend with. And while we focus on outages in, in the commercial space with resiliency projects and backup generation for these large scale buildings, how are we going to deploy capital to make our workforce productive while we're working from home? Looking at commercial buildings as stranded assets is going to be part of a matrix of trying to figure out where you manage your costs and productivity, and then you're licensed to operate long-term. Yeah. Well, I, I know this has been a really important topic for companies. During our advisory board meetings, there's a lot of discussion around, okay, well, when we do get back and there's a return to work situation, how much property are we really going to need? And if we're not going to use all of our existing assets, how are we going to, what are we going to have to do to manage energy consumption as best as possible in that new environment. I think that the impact of COVID so far is really people have been focusing on the impact that it's going to have on their operations. I think they're now starting to really focus on what impact it's going to have on their commercial real estate portfolios. Do you have any any further thoughts on the impact that COVID is going to have on commercial real estate portfolios and what companies need to be thinking about to, to manage for that? 
Yeah, I think the notion I made before about the commercial office space, the necessitation for that kind of space is definitely going to be a part of some really strategic conversations going forward. But there's always going to be a need for for buildings such as distribution centers, data centers, warehouses, manufacturing and, and heavy industrial or even light industrial centers. Looking at how we serve the needs of those types of businesses, those types of buildings, looking at operational efficiencies, looking at consumption reduction opportunities like demand response, and being able to tie that to what uh, real-time carbon mitigation strategies are tied to that and being able to drive value. We're looking at very interesting changes in policy and administrations now, right? I think we've had several stress tests in the sustainability world over the last four years, and one of them being an acute issue with COVID. And then the policy frameworks that we were dealing with over the last four years led companies and cities and states to chart their own course when it came to sustainability and carbon mitigation and and collective action in the absence of a federal message. So a lot of these things are kind of coming to a head in terms of the conversations that our customers are having, the oversight that they're getting from NGOs and, and other types of groups in terms of how they're performing, and then being able to talk about how they are going to basically endure long-term given these stress tests that we've had over the last four or five years. COVID is just one of them. We've seen increases in climactic events. You know, there are risk frameworks that look at chronic and acute events around climate risk, around disease spread, and the acute issue with COVID is, is one thing. But, you know, as climate continues to change and we start seeing more tropical type weather starting to creep up north into the United States, are we going to be seeing other types of diseases and other types of issues around productivity affecting that? So these are the types of things that the sustainability manager needs to have, the strategy and M&A and, and where you're going to, what markets you're going to serve and how those markets are going to evolve over time and what our evolving needs are going to be. Those are the conversations we're having with our customers and trying to keep that customer focus as part of our product development journey. You've done interesting work with large CNI customers. You've also done a lot of work with with cities, and you've mentioned municipalities a couple times. Are are you seeing any differences in kind of how cities are addressing sustainability strategy versus corporates, or are there any additional factors that come into play with municipalities as as opposed to CNI customers? Yeah, and I think the public sector conversation, especially in the time of COVID, when you're seeing decreased tax receipts, furloughs, budget reductions. I mean, you're seeing that in the private sector to a certain extent as well, but you're seeing cities really being affected by this. But cities were some of the first entities to sign on to the We're Still In campaign when the, when the federal government left the Paris Accord or had expressed interest of leaving the Paris Accord and started the process. And many large corporates as well. But in terms of like the small to medium-sized cities, we saw that climate climate risk, carbon mitigation became a hyper-local conversation, which was you know heartening to see. Of course, given the some of the fiscal issues with some of those smaller entities, sometimes being able to move the needle quickly sometimes had some hurdles. But 
even the large cities, when you take the city of Houston, which had its first climate action plan launched in September, as well as going 100% renewable in a simultaneous process, to be in lockstep with that strategy put out by the climate plan, there, there's a lot of great work being done at the city level. And the city of Houston being the fourth largest city in America, right, is probably at the top of the pyramid right now in terms of a large city making very large commitments to the public. But there are other cities that are looking at this as well, like the city of Chicago is also looking to go 100% renewable. So regardless of COVID and continuity and, and the future of work, we're not straying away from renewables, those conversations aren't getting lost. We're just having to tackle several issues at once. Yeah. And the Houston program that you referenced, I mean, it's a comprehensive and a pretty bold program. We were excited (laughs) to be able to report on some of the work that they were doing previously. Uh, To touch base on the kind of consulting piece and how we've evolved the need for consulting, the contract with the city of Houston was, was pretty novel in the fact that we also incorporated time on materials consulting as a value add to look at some of their initiatives around complete communities and bringing sustainable design to residential neighborhoods and making recommendations as well as small as small businesses as well so the the eye to not just look at city infrastructure and city operations and to quote unquote green that up but to look at what what it would take to create a sustainable community a writ large for the city of Houston. And we're seeing that all across the country. Yeah. Well, I, I think if there was a theme that ties kind of the future of this whole notion of sustainability strategy, I, I think that it's clearly becoming uh, much more involved, much more integrated with a company's entire operations. I think it's elevating the role of the corporate sustainability manager or the city sustainability manager. I think from an advisory standpoint, we're certainly hearing and seeing that more and more companies, uh, you know, need some sort of counsel and advice to help shape and direct where they're going to be headed and what it is they're going to be doing. Oh, absolutely. You know, we're seeing a confluence of roles at companies between the facility manager, the sustainability organization, as well as the energy manager, all working in concert. In some cases, we're actually seeing the energy management team folded into or vice versa being integrated into the sustainability team. So the idea of just mitigating costs is also getting expanded to looking at mitigating impact. I'd like to thank Greg once again for an inspiring conversation. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for listening to the podcast and being a part of the growing Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, just click on the link in the show notes for more information. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. 
Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.